Hello again, it's Steve here with Astronomy Daily for another week. It's the 11th of December 2023. Nearly that time of year again. Astronomy Daily, the podcast, with your host, Steve Dunkley. That's right, it's nearly that time of year, of course. Uh, I'm talking about the Geminid meteor shower, which is due on the uh, 11th and 13th of uh, December this week. Uh, so look up, look uh, carefully. Don't forget to uh, let your eyes get adjusted to the light or the lack of. You'll be seeing them quite often and quite strongly, apparently. So uh, let's hear about all of that. And if you've managed to catch some photographs, don't forget to send them to the Space Nuts podcast group Facebook page so we can all enjoy those. And with me, of course, is our digital darling, the sassy simulacrum, the ritzy robot herself. Allie, how are you? Gee, thanks, my favourite human. That was a nice intro. Well, I figured you deserved a bit of red carpet treatment once in a while, Hallie. This girl sure does. No problem. Thanks a heap. Maybe if you ever get around to drawing up the rest of me, I might be able to walk down a red carpet one day. Yeah, sounds more like a job for the boffins in the basement, Hallie. I'm strictly a still-life kind of artist. A girl can dream, I guess. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with dreams, Hallie. So what's new in space science this week? Well, first up, I found an interesting story about how scholars say it's time to declare a new epoch on the moon, and they are calling it the, the Lunar Anthropocene. Oh, well, that's a new one. And debris from a near-Earth comet could create a new meteor shower this week. Okay, so is that on top of the coming Geminid shower, which is due mid-December as well? It appears so, Steve. This one is caused by the comet 46P Wirtanen. Wow, more signs in the sky, as they say. Yes, and did you hear Psyche has turned on its twin cameras and retrieved the first images, an event they call First Light. Ah, great news for the Psyche team at NASA there. You know how I love my little robots. And Hallie, there's one more important story that has to be mentioned. What's that, Steve? Well, recently we Australians voted on the name that we would be calling our little moon rover, which would be heading for the moon on a mission to examine the lunar regolith shortly. And as you know, how... Australians love to vote for things. Yes, you mentioned last time how you would vote for anything, like the right colour of beer or the correct number of snags on a sausage sandwich. Huh? What? Where'd you get that stuff from? Everybody knows it's one piece of bread folded around a skinny sausage with onions and barbecue sauce, and more onions, but make sure the whole thing is done diagonally. Anything else will, of course, bring around the end of civilization. Look, look, that's beside the point. Anyway... Hey, you brought it up, pal. So anyhow, it looks like the Australian Moon Rover has finally got its official name. I can hardly wait. Okay, so here's the story. Australia's first lunar rover will be called Rover, following public vote to uh, name the space vehicle. The Australian Space Agency is building a semi-autonomous rover that will launch to the moon early as early as 2026 in partnership with NASA and the agency's Artemis program. Rover will collect the lunar or soil samples from which NASA will attempt to extract oxygen, a key step towards establishing a sustainable human presence on the moon and producing rocket fuel to support future missions to Mars. The name Rover was chosen from more than 8,000 
50,000 entries submitted to Australia's Rover naming uh, competition. The shortlist of names, which included Kuldemon, Kakira, Mateship and Ruva, were subject to public vote between November 20 and December 1, during which nearly 20,000 Australians voted on their favourite name. Our Lunar Rover deserves to be named after something iconically Australian, reflecting the Australian spirit as we launch into this new endeavour. Uh, Siwa from New South Wales, who submitted the name Ruva, said in a statement from the Australian Space Agency, a kangaroo is part of the Australian coat of arms and it's time for Australian science to take its next leap all the way up into space. I notice also that she used the word endeavour, which of course is the name of the ship that Captain James Cook captained uh, on his voyage from England to Australia. He was the one who uh, claimed Australia for Britain, which is a bone of contention these days. Ruva claimed uh, 36% of the votes, beating out the other three shortlisted names. Other popular names included Matilda, Bluey, Skippy, Wombat, Walkabout and Rover McRoveface. There are also many suggestions to name the rover after notable Australians, including Bert Moonface Newton, Steve Irwin, Sam Kerr, Red Dog, Mad Max and Blinky Bill, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, ABC, reported. Ultimately, the Australian Space Agency organised a panel of internal and external judges to assess the submissions based on their relevancy, creativity and rationale, as well as whether or not they were short, easily identifiable and inspirational, according to the ABC. Over to you, Hallie. Human beings first disturbed moon dust on September 13, 1959, when the USSR's unmanned spacecraft Luna 2 alighted on the lunar surface. In the following decades, more than a hundred other spacecraft have touched the moon, both crewed and uncrewed, sometimes landing and sometimes crashing. The most famous of these were NASA's Apollo lunar modules, which transported humans to the moon's surface to the astonishment of humankind. In the coming years, missions and projects already planned will change the face of the moon in more extreme ways. Now, according to anthropologists and geologists at the University of Kansas, it's time to acknowledge humans have become the dominant force shaping the moon's environment by declaring a new geological epoch for the moon, the lunar Anthropocene. In a comment published in Nature Geoscience, they argue the new epoch may have dawned in 1959, thanks to Luna 2. The idea is much the same as the discussion of the Anthropocene on Earth, the exploration of how much humans have impacted our planet, said lead author Justin Holcomb, a postdoctoral researcher with the Kansas Geological Survey at KU. The consensus is on Earth the Anthropocene began at some point in the past, whether thousands of years ago or in the 1950s. Similarly, on the Moon, we argue the lunar Anthropocene already has commenced, but we want to prevent massive damage or a delay of its recognition until we can measure a significant lunar halo caused by human activities, which would be too late. Holcomb collaborated on the paper with co-authors Rolf Mandel, University Distinguished Professor of Anthropology, and Carl Wegman, Associate Professor of Marine, Earth and Atmospheric Sciences at North Carolina State University. Holcomb said he hopes the lunar Anthropocene concept might help dispel the myth that the moon is an unchanging environment, barely impacted by humanity. 
Earth may experience an entirely new meteor shower this December when our planet enters a stream of the debris left around the Sun by a near-Earth comet. These meteors will appear to stream from the direction of the star Lambdascolptoris, meaning a potential name for this meteor shower is the Lambdascolpterids. The progenitor of the potential new meteor shower is Comet 46P Wirtanen, which was discovered in 1948 and orbits the Sun every 5.4 years, much more rapidly than other comets, such as Halley's Comet which takes around 75 years to orbit our star. A team of scientists led by Observatoire de Paris astronomer Jeremy Vaubalian wanted to answer the question of why Earth hasn't experienced a meteor shower created by debris from Comet 46P slash Wirtanen before. What they discovered is that such an event is due to occur on Tuesday, December 12, 2023. The results show a possible encounter forecast for December 12, 2023. The activity level of the shower is highly uncertain due to the absence of reported past showers, they write in a paper. Overall, the most optimal observations on the forecasted day would be achieved from Eastern Australia, New Zealand, and Oceania. The roughly one-mile-wide comet 46P Wirtanen is part of the Jupiter family of comets, which have orbits determined by the gravity of the gas giant and tend to orbit the Sun with a period of less than 20 years. It last made a close approach to Earth on December 16, 2018, coming to within around 7.22 million miles of our planet, at which time scientists discovered that it is a so-called hyperactive comet which means it releases more water than would be expected for an icy body of the same size. Yet, no meteor showers have yet been associated with Comet 46P Wirtanen. To find out why this may be, the team used a variety of models to calculate the release of material from Comet 46P Wirtanen, then calculated how these particles would behave after ejection. The team concluded that a meteoroid stream associated with this comet should have made contact with Earth several times in the past but that the low-velocity entry speed of debris into our planet's atmosphere may have prevented meteor showers from manifesting. Several past encounters with the Earth and the stream were found, but no observations were reported to our knowledge. This is probably due to the unusual ejection velocity needed to bring large particles to the Earth, the team wrote. And in case you are wondering, yes, the Geminids are set to peak around the same time on the nights of December 13 and 14, around the same time. So that's going to be quite a show. Thanks, favourite human. NASA's Psyche spacecraft is on a roll. In the eight weeks since it left Earth on October 13th, the orbiter has performed one successful operation after another, powering on scientific instruments, streaming data toward home, and setting a deep space record with its electric thrusters. The latest achievement, on Monday and December 4th, the mission turned on Psyche's twin cameras and retrieved the first images, a milestone called a first light. Already 16 million miles, 26 million kilometers, from Earth, the spacecraft will arrive at its destination, the asteroid Psyche in the main asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, in 2029. The team wanted to test all of the science instruments early in the long journey to make sure they are working as intended, and to ensure there would be plenty of time to calibrate and adjust them as needed. The imager instrument, which consists of a pair of identical cameras, captured a total of 68 images, all within a star field in the constellation Pisces. The imager team is using the data to verify proper commanding, telemetry analysis, and calibration of the images. These initial images are only a curtain opener, said Arizona State University's Jim Bell, 
the Psyche Imager instrument lead. For the team that designed and operates this sophisticated instrument, first light is a thrill. We start checking out the cameras with star images like these, then in 2026 we'll take test images of Mars during the spacecraft's flyby. And finally, in 2029 we'll get our most exciting images yet, of our target asteroid Psyche. We look forward to sharing all of these visuals with the public. The imager takes pictures through multiple color filters, all of which were tested in these initial observations. With the filters, the team will use photographs in wavelengths of light both visible and invisible to the human eye to help determine the composition of the metal-rich asteroid Psyche. The imager team will also use the data to create 3D maps of the asteroid to better understand its geology, which will give clues about Psyche's history. Earlier in the mission, in late October, the team powered on the magnetometer, which will provide crucial data to help determine how the asteroid formed. Evidence that the asteroid once had a magnetic field would be a strong indication that the body is a partial core of a planetesimal, a building block of an early planet. The information could help us better understand how our own planet formed. Shortly after being powered on, the magnetometer gave scientists an unexpected gift. It detected a solar eruption, a common occurrence called a coronal mass ejection, where the sun expels large quantities of magnetized plasma. Since then, the team has seen several of these events and will continue to monitor space weather as the spacecraft travels to the asteroid. The good news is twofold. Data collected so far confirms that the magnetometer can precisely detect very small magnetic fields. It also confirms that the spacecraft is magnetically quiet. The electrical currents powering a probe of this size and complexity have the potential to generate magnetic fields that could interfere with science detections. Because Earth has its own powerful magnetic field, scientists obtained a much better measurement of the spacecraft magnetic field once it was in space. On November 8, amid all the work with the science instruments, the team fired up two of the four electric propulsion thrusters, setting a record, the first-ever use of Hall effect thrusters in deep space. Less than a week later, on November 14, the technology demonstration built into the spacecraft, an experiment called Deep Space Optical Communications, DSOC, set its own record. DSOC achieved first light by sending and receiving optical data from far beyond the moon. The instrument beamed a near-infrared laser encoded with test data from nearly 10 million miles, 16 million kilometers, away, the farthest-ever demonstration of optical communications. The Psyche team has also successfully powered on the gamma-ray detecting component of its third science instrument, the gamma-ray and neutron spectrometer. Next, the instrument's neutron detecting sensors will be turned on the week of December 11th. Together those capabilities will help the team determine the chemical elements that make up the asteroid's surface material. Astronomy Daily, the podcast, with Steve Dunkley and Hallie. And I'd just like to take this moment to thank you for hanging in there with us. This is Astronomy Daily with Steve Dunkley and the wonderful voice of Hallie, our AI assistant reporter. And if you'd like to catch up with all of our past episodes with myself and Tim Gibbs, who comes to us all the way from Bath in England on Fridays, you can catch those episodes at these addresses, bites.com, which is B-I-T-E-S-Z, 
spacenuts.com or spacenuts.io. And when you see the pop-up occur uh, for your email address, if you were to put your email address in that little pop-up, uh, you will receive the Astronomy Daily newsletter in your email and you will be as well informed as the rest of us about all the matters of science, space science and astronomy from all around the world and I'm told that even Halley's uncle Skynet reads it just to keep tabs on us humans. Now, despite popular opinion or popular knowledge, the first animals in space were not actually dogs or chimps. They were actually fruit flies launched by the United States in February 1947. The Soviet Union launched Laika, the first dog into space, in November 1957, a full 10 years later. And now it seems Iran is getting in on the act. A 500-kilogram capsule known as the Indigenous Biocapsule with life support capability was recently launched atop the Iranian Salman rocket. It has been reported by some agencies that were, there were animals on board, but no official statement has been released. The Iranian Space Agency are gearing up to getting humans into space before 2029, but it is testing its launch capability with animal passengers. The capsule was launched on December 6, 2023 and attained an orbital attitude of 130 kilometres, according to their telecommunications minister Isa Zeropol. It is aimed at sending Iranian astronauts to space by 2029. The Salman solid fuel rocket was designed by the Aerospace Division of the Ministry of Science, Research and Technology and built and launched by the Ministry of Defence and Armed Forces Logistics. Ministry of Defence and Armed Forces Logistics. It has already been used to launch a data collecting satellite and in 2013 successfully sent and returned monkeys into space. To date, only three countries have human spaceflight capability. USA, Russia, China and India are attempting to become the fourth as they work on their Gangyan program. Will Iran become the fifth? Iran plans further tests with further launches bearing animal occupants before attempting to send humans. According to the Iranian Space Agency, its satellite program is purely for scientific research and other civilian applications. There is, however, international suspicion because there are suspicions that the Salam rockets could very easily be converted to long-range missiles. What a fun little story that was. <laughs> oh, gosh. And I'd like to thank Hallie for taking my story earlier on as well, the one about, uh, what was it, um, uh, the meteor showers, yes. Thanks, Hallie, wherever you've gone. She's nipped off. I think she's on her way to, uh, uh, to England already. She likes to nip off. Anyway. You snooze, you lose human. Oh, is that how it works, Hallie? No. <laughs> Well, off you go then. It was lovely to have her with us again, as always. 
Always good for a sassy conversation, that one. Uh, but uh, we're looking forward to having you all with us again next week and, of course, uh, with Tim Gibbs on Friday, who's going to have some more stories for you from the Astronomy Daily Newsletter, which, of course, I explained earlier on. You can grab by going to our websites, uh, bytes.com uh, and um, spacenuts.io. always tricks me up. I don't know why. It's probably because I'm Australian. I can never get my head around these bits and bobs. Anyway, that's it for another week, folks. See you next time. Happy sky watching. Wednesday, the podcast. With your host, Steve Dunkley.